Welcome to Watch This Space, the podcast about future of work. Every month, we bring you insider perspectives on how digital transformation, emerging tech, and generational change are shaping the future of work. We are two analog guys finding the groove for all of this in today's digital world. I'm John Arnold, and these trends are my focus as an independent tech analyst in my company, J. Arnold and Associates. And I'm Chris Fine. I'm an independent consultant and strategist specializing in workplace technology, IoT, and security. My company is Integrative Technologies. Hi, everybody. Hi, John. Welcome to another month, right? Exactly. And, uh, yep, it's it's summer, and it, it used to be that the living was easy, but, boy, oh, boy, we're getting, not, not that we want to do a weather report, but the extremes of weather are just, there's nothing normal anymore about these things. And we all know what it looks like and feels like, and some of us are living it firsthand. But, you know, I wonder sometimes, for all the good that we hear about what's coming with our technologies, why can't they fix these problems? And I, I guess that's a whole other topic, but it makes me wonder. That's all I'm going to say. Because for all our intelligence and might and money, you know, we still have forest fires and floods and extreme heat and all that stuff. And maybe there's a higher authority trying to tell us something. I don't know. I, I think it's partly a matter of incentives and the fact that they're very big challenges that may take a long time to fix. And there's a lot of debate about, you know, what might be the causes and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I agree with you. It would be nice to uh, see if there'd be something we could do against this sort of cycle. Yeah. As they say, we could put a man on the moon, but uh, you know, can't put out a forest fire. Um, anyways, that, that, that's a bit of a digression. I know, but um, it, you know, the, the, the underlying tech though, you know, for all the wonderful things with, you know, AI is such a hot topic, you know, these days. And you wonder, it almost sounds like it can solve anything, right? But the most fundamental things, water, fire, you know, we, we can't get a handle on. Water and fire are two pretty elemental forces, right? That don't lend themselves easily to sort of easy control, I should say. I remember when I was in the security game and I went to talk to one of uh, best people I knew who managed a big building for security and, you know, big office building. And I said, well, what are you the most worried about? You know, and I figured he'd say something like uh, domestic violence or somebody comes in with a gun or there's a fire or something. He said, water. He said, water's capable of causing more chaos than even fire is. And it's much more common. So I always remember that. And, you know, we had, we recently in this area had um, just a weird flash flood that inundated Vermont and part of New York. It was really terrible. And it just came out of nowhere. It wasn't any area that normally would get that type of flooding. And then there was another one a couple of weeks ago near, not too far for, in Pennsylvania. And it's just, it's really bizarre kind of what's happening, right? It sure is. It sure is. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, the, the, our, our analog roots tell us, you know, we, we, we always try to kind of address the problems we could understand and kind of keep technology in a fairly manageable, I don't know, scope. But now 
everything seems to be about technology and yet i think the problems of of the world are getting more and more basic and more and more extreme and uh oh anyways th- th- this could go off in all kinds of directions i know i should remember uh, remember that old commercial you can't fool mother nature um <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough uh it's a tough thing to try to apply technology and engineering and very often it goes amok when you try to you know affect natural forces but you know it is something that's a challenge that uh, needs to get taken on right well yeah yeah it's a bit like icarus right we're we're flying too close to the sun folks and uh you know these are warnings that maybe we should be doing other things or you don't need technology to solve all the problems of the world well we could certainly have a chapter about ai we talk about it all the time anyway but i think You've got a an interesting where in the world was John Arnold story this month. So why don't we start with that? You had a recent um, trip to China to Mobile World Congress there, which I did not know they had. I thought Mobile World Congress was in Barcelona, and it is, but apparently there's one there too. So why don't we, why don't we talk about that? You think? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and we try to keep our podcast here, you know, about the future of work. And, you know, there's a lot of future work from what I was seeing over there. That's, that's for sure. You know, uh, our future here is, is defined mostly by how our North American companies view the world and do things. And, you know, when you go outside our borders here, as we know, Chris, you know, you know, go to the EU, that's one thing, but going to, to China or Africa or South America, you, you start to see that there's a, obviously a different and bigger picture. And when you think of the sheer numbers of people in these countries and these regions, they, you know, they dwarf uh, what we have here. So um, it's always a good thing to get exposed to the bigger picture and say, okay, the, our approach to future of work and our approach to technology is... You know, it, it's not the be all and end all. Some of it's very good, and some of it is just I, I can take it or leave it. But yeah, going going to this event, um, I'll just kind of preface this a little bit. This just didn't come out of thin air. Um, I was part of a media delegation uh, that was sponsored by Huawei, but that was kind of a sidebar of this thing. But it was about attending this Mobile World Congress, and as far as I could tell, Chris, there were about thirty of us maybe 20-ish in this group. Most everybody there was from Latam or Mexico. And I might have been the only North American person uh, in this group. And uh, so I felt like, okay, well, I've got this little window uh, to, to see this stuff. I, I was certainly not the only North American attending World Congress, but I think I was from this particular delegation. And uh, like you say, Chris, that's the starting point. I think for what we want to talk about is, oh, there's another Mobile World Congress. And that event is is put on by the GSMA. So, you know, industry-based events are very different from vendor events, right? So this is not about what one company is doing. It's about the whole ecosystem. And like the one in Barcelona, it's really large-scale um there were i believe five exhibit halls and so you got to have your comfy shoes on for sure and uh, i didn't come close to seeing 
the whole, not even close. It's just, you know, you need the three or four full days to see it all. So the first thing to say is, you know, the scope of these events is very large and probably just as big as you'd see in Europe. And yeah, it's another reminder that what goes on in this part of the world, we don't get a lot of visibility into until they start exporting these technologies. So it's eye-opening to see how advanced some of these things are becoming. And um, the thing here about going to this this event, because it, it's so large for a reason, right? And this is all about mobile technology. And so as much as we like to talk about AI and cloud as being big engines that drive and are going to transform future work, you know, I don't know if there's really anything bigger than mobility. It's it's just the heart of everything that I can see happening that's got innovation wrapped around it. And for what little I saw in China, and it is a very small amount for sure, Chris, everything is on mobile. Like I don't think you can function in these in a place like that without a without a smartphone. Like there's just nothing there's no other way to do things and and uh, it's i learned it the hard way when i arrived at the airport and had to clear customs um there was a there's a health check you have to have on your phone to gain admission to the customs hall and nobody told me about it and i didn't have it because i didn't have wechat you have to be in china to get wechat so it was i, I ran into bureaucracy right off the bat <laughs> and uh someone was just one of the agents there was good enough to help me and set it all up in my phone and then i was in but i realized right away yeah you're you're in big trouble if your phone runs out of battery or it gets lost or stolen um and let me let me hold, let me stop on that one chris there's there's a lot there itself and then i want to just hit on some highlights from the event itself okay well that's interesting what you say about uh mobility and um I it, it it made me think about something um, somebody I've worked with said quite a few years ago. He was very ahead of his time. And he said, um, the mobile product cycle is the single biggest driver of economics in the tech business. And he said, if you want to see what's coming, you really want to follow the development of technology for mobile communications, mobile phones. And it turned out that was really prescient because if you think about what came from that basically iot right uh, display technology touchscreen technology app technology just chips radios you can just go on and on and on and on right it's the single biggest economic driver i think still in the world of tech even dwarfing ai and cloud and things like that so you always have to pay attention to it right yeah, yeah. I mean, a AI will eclipse everything eventually, but it's still kind of more of an idea than a reality. But this stuff is a reality. This is what's happening now. And that, that's why there's so many exhibitors, so many standards, so many vendors chasing this. And interestingly, one of the kind of tension points in this industry is there are no universal standards um for like because the, the issue here is that going from two to three to even 4g um these technologies could work and the mobile carriers could effectively do okay within their markets but with 5g the the just the, everything's at a higher level now it's a very global 
um, technology now where, you know, like distance and, you know, it, these things don't matter anymore. Like, you know, it used to be, right, we, we you know, the, the cost of making a mobile, sending messages and, and voice and it's expensive. You know, it's, it still, there's a lot of money there today, but it's a totally global thing now. And different countries are evolving their 5G, you know, technologies and, and network architectures kind of on parallel tracks and this is becoming problematic because they're they without global standards for 5g it's going to be very difficult for these companies to really these carriers to really get the effects of scale that come with 5g really well because you, you're going to have if they're not all kind of you know eating at the same trough, it's going to be harder because there are political and, you know, geopolitical and government interests here that, you know, companies want to control it or own it. You know, it's not like, you know, Apple can control their ecosystem very well, but with 5G, it's the underlying technology, but there isn't yet a universal set of standards that will allow it to be a truly global, um, you know, network because that's the way it's all going. It's all going to be mobile. And in particularly in the areas of, you know, cybersecurity, how do you make that environment safe? Because if it isn't, adoption is going to be problematic, you know, if people can't trust their phones or their networks. So there, there are some kind of practical realities that kind of are unspoken, but are, you know, are part of the story. Interesting. So you, you just said something that really, uh, piqued my interest. So maybe you could expand on it a little bit more. Uh, so those of us who were less knowledgeable than you and have seen less of it, believe perhaps that, in fact, in the various generations or the Gs, that we've actually advanced more to a global standard. So perhaps I'm thinking of that narrowly. Am I? So when you say we're, there's no global standard, do you mean, for example, with spectrum? Or do you mean the actual software or rate or other functionality. Like if I had a 5G phone here and I took it, let's say to Asia, I know that even if I put a SIM in, it probably would revert back, let's say to 4G or 3G because that's the latest fully compatible type of radio technology or spectrum that would work there. Um, but is it more than that? Is it is are there real basic incompatibilities with 5g um i i, I don't I, I don't know if there are basic incompatibilities that, that can't be fixed um i i think it's more to do with, with agreeing on standards for for uh uh for for uh, you know transferring uh, uh traffic from network to network but I, I i i think that there are like you say with spectrum i i do think there are issues you know country by country about who controls the spectrum and and how you license it, it this is a messy topic i really didn't want to go there okay um, but it strikes me as you know a big part of this that you just have to think differently the, the model we've had up to 4g has been very you know it could be kind of on a local domestic basis but this is becoming a very big global thing now. And as I say, who knew that there was a Shanghai MWC? Well, you know, people in the business do know, but we don't think about it that way. And it just shows you, you know, it's as, just as big an advance there as it is here. And, and on a very basic level, it strikes me that all the, all the effort around 5G in North America 
and we see it everywhere, right? Um, it seems to be mostly consumer driven, right? It's so we can get more broadband to basically do more streaming and downloading and watching videos on our phones and stuff. Nothing wrong with that, but in certainly we're at in the Shanghai event I was at, you know, they're they're not talking about that so much. There is some of that, but it's much more about, you know, B2B, you know, large scale use cases for 5G to, you know, as you mentioned, Chris, with IoT, things that aren't necessarily AI driven, but that's part of it. But it's really about these networks now have the capacity to, um, you know, to, to manage these these processes uh, for automation in a way that, you know, 4G certainly couldn't do before. And so here, you know, it's here in Shanghai and in that in the in the east, it seems to be more focused on this kind of these B2B applications. We you know what we call an industry or industrial 4.0 applications. So, you know, the, the smart homes is more consumer oriented, but when you start talking about, you know, smart cities, smart mining, smart aviation, smart logistics, you know, all of that stuff. And then you get into smart medicine. Now the applications take on a very different meaning. And now with 5G and, you know, your drones have a big role to play in these things. Now the possibilities, because the throughput for these networks, they, it can just do so much more. So uh, it's just everywhere you, you go, there are, you know, use cases that make a lot of sense now with this, with the arrival of these technologies. And as much as 5G is still the story here, a lot of these companies are already on the path to 5.5G, which is another level, kind of another, you know, order of magnitude, higher, faster, smarter kind of thing. But that's at the level at which the AI stuff starts to really kick in. So in other words, the 5G networks today can support AI, you know, capabilities, but only to a certain extent. But when you get to the next iteration of 5G, or the, this whole 5G kind of like evolution, um, that's when those possibilities really open up. And it's it's so far beyond anything that we're talking about right now, um, you know, for the most part in the West, not entirely, but for the most part. Boy, that's interesting. So trying to translate this into kind of more non, more social, political, economic terms, um, or just block diagram level stuff is I am trying to understand the vision that you laid out. What, what I hear is that the, the, um, the forces of technology in, 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 in that originate from Asia really see just basically one network, right? There's no, there's no Wi-Fi. There's no, there's very little ethernet let's say they're gonna you know backnet all these building and industrial networks they basically get subsumed into 5g and that's all you have to think about so if you have a factory or you have a doctor's office or you have a hospital or you have a, um, you know an office i mean the vision of 5g and you do hear some of that here too is is that's kind of it is that is that accurate that's that i mean that's I, what you put in yeah, I think that's a pretty um, pretty good representation, and, and I'm not I'm not a wireless guy, 
you know, I'm not I'm not steeped in the five G particular technologies. I can, so I can't really comment too much about the that level of stuff because there was a lot of conversation at the various sessions that I saw about the specifics of how they do things. But but to make it more practical, so a good example here is um, okay. Well, a good one would be so for example in mining. Um, this happened to be at Huawei, but uh, you know they they're not the only ones doing this. But the level of automation that they're achieving now with autonomous vehicles, that they can automate these the whole process of, you know, running uh, this one example is an open pit mine. When you start bringing the, that automation and that IoT into the picture, now you can run your mine 24-7. You don't have to worry about drivers. Uh, and when you start going into like underground mining and, and you know, now you can automate a lot of the tech, a lot of the process. Now all of a sudden mining becomes a safer operation because now the people aren't doing the dangerous work where you have these, you know, they have drones and robots that can go in and, and do all these things. And with all the 5G technology, even like really deep underground, it's really impressive to see how they can, you know, maintain signal at that level which is also actually good for the workers who were down there because now they can communicate with their families um, very easily. It's really impressive to see that extent of automation. Um, so almost anything you can imagine, you know, uh, you know, uh, in a logistics industry, right, where you, you can track your vehicles uh, with 5G all the, you know, constantly. We're not get, getting to autonomous driving yet, you know, in public, you know, mining is a different story. But you can start imagining all these processes in, in factories, like you mentioned, Chris, earlier. And I saw some very good examples of that where, you know, no humans, no hands are involved. And uh, the efficiencies that come with this are really impressive. But of course, like anything else, when you take it to an extreme, you know, then who's going to be left to do the jobs, right? And when you have that level of of, of, of tracking with the mo mobile technologies and of course the cameras embedded everywhere, you know, now we're, you know, and now we're approaching a surveillance environment where maybe it's more about watching you rather than making an efficient process or automating stuff. So there are trade-offs there to consider. So in an ideal world, sure, these technologies are fantastic. And also having to keep in mind, you know, a lot of these com countries, because it wasn't just China, they gave examples from, uh, from uh, from Thailand, Saudi Arabia, but basically countries that are emerging markets. So a lot of their cities and urban environments are fairly new. So it's easier for them to adopt these technologies kind of at a high level. And of course, it doesn't hurt to have, you know, a lot of government control that just makes it happen. Very different model, right, from what we see in the West. Right, right. And you could just target, if you're one of the producers you could just target that portion of the global market and it's still a huge market right that is as you describe developing yeah. economies stronger government control you know let less perhaps focus on some elements of privacy I, I don't know I mean it just seems like a very a very big market but something you said I I thought was worth underlining right because you had described what sounds like one of the main premises of the power of 5G is that essentially you can throw a lot of bandwidth anywhere. You don't have some of the 
limitations of a very localized technology like Wi-Fi. You have more power. It's licensed spectrum. You can be out in the open. You could be in a mine. You can put the, the, the protocol is designed to have as many cells as you need to get the coverage wherever you are. Um, and it's powered by, you know, large service providers and governments who are willing to invest in the infrastructure to make it happen, um, at least in, in these markets. And so um, it sounds like what you're saying about autonomous vehicles and AI ultimately is that you now have a network where you do not have, in effect, rationed bandwidth like you always had, right? Like your data plan, right? The way people mm-hmm. might think of it. You're not, and you know, how long does it take to load this thing and all that? It, it, it's it's so flexible and so powerful, 5G and going forward that effectively you have, for practical purposes, as much bandwidth as you need, which means that you can put the processing and AI power and anything else at any place you want to put it and then have the endpoints like a vehicle, let's say, or, or a phone uh, communicate fully with it, right? Just as if you were connected to a local network, right? And that's really changes the picture, I think. Yeah, there's so many pieces to this. It, it, you know, the um, one of the underlying premise that I heard quite often was this idea that fiber is just not going to be able to do the job. And so when you st- talked earlier about, you know, different uh, network, you know, architectures or different types of networks, you know, they made it very clear that that's not going to be the way to achieve, you know, what we want to do in the future here. So it's a very big bet on wireless as being the way to go as opposed to fiber build out. As, as you know, like in the US, fiber is a very big deal. Um, but they're kind of past that because they don't have that infrastructure like we do that has to be updated right in, in within kind of some physical constraints of how do you get the last mile into every single home um it's just they, they, they're just there with this stuff now and, and because it's done at such a large scale um and i heard uh there was a speaker from qualcomm there as well just talking about because of the scale and the innovation um the costs are coming down right so so the infrastructure to build out isn't as expensive as you might think and again, because the scale here is so big on these build-outs, um, you know, once it's there, it kind of, there's really nothing is going to displace it. It's going to be the way things are done. And, and I got to also mention too, you know, a really important part of that the economy there. Uh, again, Huawei is not the only example, but they're very R&D intensive. And so it, this is just pure science. And, you know, once once you do the innovation research to figure out the breakthroughs, then these things start to become very, very real, right? They're not just, you know, science experiments that may take 10, 20 years to develop. They have incentives to do these things now. And when you start applying them to things like healthcare, uh, educate, helping drive education in remote areas and agriculture, now you start to solve some of the bigger problems of the world. And this stuff starts to make, you know, it starts to be a pretty compelling story beyond just the business level stuff that you know we're no one here is talking about using this 5g for ucas or contact center i mean that those are applications that can be done but this stuff on this level is 
you know, these are bigger problems of the world that, that need to be solved. So they're they're going in the right directions for this. You know, no guarantees how it's all going to pan out. Um, one of the carriers from the Philippines made a good point to say, this stuff's really cool, but we're still trying to figure out how to monetize 4G. So now you're bringing another level of stuff to us that we don't really know what to do with yet. So the, the market demand is still going to drive stuff. And when it's all B2B, the market is kind of there. But when you start talking about consumer applications, um, the benefit, the uplift of 5G over 4G, to me, is a little more suspect. And that's why I wonder about the U.S. market focus is so, so heavy on consumer. You really wonder, is that going to hold back the evolution of 5G in the, in the West? Because maybe we're focusing on the wrong things that really bring the value out for it, right? I don't think we're going to be able, I agree with you, but I don't think we're going to be able to stop it really. Cause I think, I think when you have the economics of 5g versus, as you say, for example, fiber, especially like fiber to the home, eventually whatever you can do wirelessly, it makes sense to do wirelessly. I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense, but you know, there's so much um, cost per foot of getting bandwidth someplace with wires or fiber that it, admittedly it's a you good return in, on investment over time if you can get people to pay for the service that you've provided. You know, for example, in this country, I would say Verizon has seen some of that, the return on the fiber infrastructure investment they made some years ago. But um, it, it's, if you were actually able to get to the point with 5G and subsequent where a lot of things today that aren't wireless became wireless in, as you say, industrial as well as consumer, you really would see a, a lot of efficiencies that you don't see today, which would make the investment worth it. You know, there's just a lot of things today in wireless that are essentially predicated on the fact of there being limited bandwidth or spectrum available. And if you help to solve that problem, the whole picture really changes right because then yeah. then it becomes more efficient to connect wirelessly even if you have wired alternatives but there's still a lot of hurdles to fix right there's and the fact that also in in the US you know it's buyers of spectrum have to pay so much money for it that they have to have a pretty compelling case in order to make it pay off well yeah and this is one of the issues i don't know if it's different in the east or the west but the debt that the carriers have taken on to invest in 5g they have an they they have a real pressure to get a return on this stuff and so but we're just starting to see where the innovation is going so if they're gonna if this is gonna be a holdback now how the hell are they going to invest in the next generation of this stuff if they can't make this stuff fly so this is an issue you know a, a, a practical issue i think that I'm sure all the mobile carriers in the West are certainly grappling with. But uh, it, was, it was a really interesting point was at, at this China event, one of the sessions talked about how there are, I think there are three carriers in China. I think China Mobile, China Unicom. I can't remember. Anyways, but apparently all three are run by the government. But so you think, oh gosh, they have a total monopoly on stuff. Yet these three carriers compete very intensely against each other. 
which I found really interesting, right? It's, it's that like the, the, the level of kind of competitiveness is really, really high. And that also drives, um, forget about government subsidy, but, but that level of competitiveness really drives innovation and adoption. And as long as that effort and energy is still there, it's going to keep going and, and not just keep going, but keep going at a faster pace. And I think this is the issue with this stuff. The, the carriers don't have 10 years to figure this out now because if it's it's happening now, one of the interesting things that one of the keynoters said is that it took 12 years for 3G to hit a million users. 5G only took five years to get to a million users. And now it's much, much more than that. But this to me reinforces the fact that even though it's been 50 years since we started making mobile calls, the pace of innovation is much faster now. And that's why I find it interesting they're talking about not going from 5G to 6G, but 5G to 5.5G and eventually 6G. But, you know, these innovation cycles are getting shorter and they're happening on such a bigger scale now. And as the costs fall, as you said before, Chris, there's no way you can't be doing this now. There's just too much opportunity here and it's going to really, you know, if you're not ready for it, someone's going to do it, right? Someone will pass you by. So I just look at this and say, when I see what's happening there from this show, Mobile World Congress in Shanghai, you know, this is the future is here now for what they're doing, but it's, we got a ways to go, I think in the West to catch it. And uh, we shall see. Well, I guess that's a classic watch this space, right? It's fascinating though. Must've been a really uh, eye opening expedition right yeah sure was and uh anyone who follows me i did put a post on my blog a couple of weeks ago about it with a few photos uh and every photo i was able to share there are like 30 others i'm not able to share so i have to respect the rules uh over there for how they do things and that's just it's just different right so but yes there's all there's many more stories to be told about this stuff and i do have some articles on my plate that i'll be writing in the next little while that will find their way to magazines somewhere so yeah there's more to talk about for sure well that's great john we'll all look forward to uh reading all of those and uh hearing more about this because it is it does sound like an experience many of us really don't get to have even if we're in the technology business, unless we're in that very specific segment of things and and working on a global scale, we might or might not even be aware of that, of many of the things that you saw. So looking forward to hearing more, right? Yeah, me, me too. And yeah, and I will share as much as I'm able to. So yeah, there's quite a few stories to be told on this stuff. So I think anybody who goes to a show like this would come back with a similar impression, like, wow, this there's a lot going on here. So, but for another time, as you say, so that brings us to time for today. So we'd like to thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you'll continue with us as we explore the future of work here on Watch This Space. You can access our episodes at www.watchthisspace.tech or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. And if you like what we're saying and talking about here, we'd love to get uh, some comments from you, uh, leave us a rating, make suggestions for future episodes. We're all ears. And with that, I'm Chris Fine. No, you're not. You're John Arnold. I'm Chris <laughs> Fine. <laughs> <laughs>
I love it. No, that one's coming up. And with that. (laughs) I'm Chris Fine. Thanks, John. Thanks, everyone. And stay tuned next month for another episode of Watch This Space.